Welcome back to the From the Sidelines podcast. Uh, the usual suspects, suspects here. I'm Wade Evanson, Andy Decoff, Tanner Russ, Austin White. And on this week's episode, we, we're going to go over the usual things. We're going to start with our headlines and, and go into our stock risers. But also, uh, we have an interview on this pod, or on this episode of our podcast with Jed Tai of Prep Hoops Oregon. So if you're inter- interested in what uh, Jed does, which is essentially uh, cover the the players in and around the state, primarily in the state, uh, but uh, at, at really all levels. So if you're interested in, in recruiting and kind of what's going on in the state with high school basketball individually, uh, Jed's your man. So uh, hang in there and uh, listen to Jed. We have him on for about 45 minutes, I think is what our plan is. So uh, uh, hopefully that'll work out well and you'll get some good information. So for us, let's start with headlines and I can do that. Um, kind of what I saw last week and what you can find on my websites. I'm going to start with the Banks Corbett girls. Uh, they uh, Banks is the number one ranked team in the 3A at this point. Corbett is the number two ranked team. And I saw those teams go at it at Corbett last week. And Corbett dominated the game. Uh, there was really no way, other way to put it. Uh, Banks had beaten them a couple weeks prior by two points at Banks. And so they were geared up uh, for this game. And they got a great game from Ali Schimmel who scored 26 points. I think she made six three-pointers, and she was dialed in from the get-go. I think she had five three-pointers in the first half, and uh, that really set the tone of the game. And Corbett was ahead, I think, by 15 or 16 points at the break. Banks actually made a run at them in the third quarter, and had they you know, just really kind of put back some point-blank efforts, really could have made that interesting game. They, um, you know, they held Corbett scoreless in the third quarter, which, you know, if, if you know anything about the Corbett girls team, if you hold them scoreless, you're doing something right defensively, because I don't know if anybody else is going to do that. Um, and I think got to an eight point game. But like I say, they missed countless uh, shots from underneath the hoop, which they could have pulled that made that, a you know, a, a three, four point game going into the fourth quarter real easy. And, and that might have changed the, the outcome a bit. But uh, Corbett deserved the win. They got the win, pulled into the tie uh, top the Coastal Range League standings with Banks. And you can find a little more detail on that game uh, on the on the Forest Grove News Times website. Um, also, uh, I've got a feature on the Beaver and Valley Times website on Sunset uh, forward slash midfielder Ellie Felt, who was the co-state player of the year this past season uh, for the Apollos. And um, some interesting, interesting things about her and her personality and how she likes to go about things. I mean, she's a real... Uh, a real worker, tireless worker, and and I think you'll find uh, the kind of how she does things to be pretty interesting, a uh, real enthusiast for the game. So you can find that in the Beaver River Valley Times website. Also on the Beaver River Valley Times site, I went to the Mountainside Southridge boys game last week, basketball, and uh, Mountainside got the win, but uh, interesting game between two teams that are kind of vying for uh, not only playoff positioning, but also that league title. Uh, that, that league title is really up for grabs. Uh, between Southridge, Jesuit, Mountainside, and Beaverton, I mean, it's it's really anybody's game. Uh, we're going to find out, you know, today, today's Tuesday, and we're going to find out tonight whether Beaverton and Jesuit, uh, who who, who kind of comes out between those two, which maybe gives somebody a leg up a bit. But those teams are all going to start, uh, you know, kind of winding it down here pretty quick, and that's going to be a really interesting race. Uh, and, and all four of those teams are in it. They're all in it. So uh, I, I kind of talked about that game. And then also on the Hillsborough News Times website, I talked about the Liberty Girls who are very young and are, are kind of coming into their own a bit. I, I caught their game with Forest Grove, which they won, uh, which was really kind of a close game throughout, and then they pulled away late. 
But talking to their coach, Melanie Wagner, she talked about uh, some of their young, 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 talented players. And they've got a couple, uh, primarily uh, 6'1 uh, guard, uh, Berlin Carlson, who transferred from Jesuit. She was a Jesuit last year as a freshman. She's a sophomore this season. And um, she she handles the ball. And she's 6'1", so she can get rebounds, she can pass, she can shoot. A really interesting prospect going forward for them. And then also uh, their uh, fellow sophomore guard, Maddie Miramontes. She, uh, you know, great outside shooter. I think she might have had, just pulling this off the top of my head now, I think she had 16 or 18 points, led them in scoring against Forest Grove. Uh, but great outside shot, great presence. And um, uh, their head coach, Melanie Wagner, was really excited about kind of how they're coming together late in the year putting themselves in position to, to maybe uh, not only make the playoffs, but put themselves in a position to maybe win a game if they can get the seeding, get their seed down a bit and they're ranked 24th right now. So if they can get their receding maybe inside the top 20, um, you know, they can they can get themselves in a position to uh, play a team that they, they can compete with. So uh, interesting thing on the Liberty Girls team you can find on the Hillsborough New Times website. Those are my headlines. We'd like to go over theirs next. Austin, you want to go for it? I got you. Uh, last week, you know, I kind of ran out of time personally, but these stories will be there. Uh, there'll be a story on Park Rose boys basketball. Uh, saw them play LaSalle, which <laughs> unfortunately wasn't the best game for Park Rose. Andy popped in there in the first half and saw uh, LaSalle prep kind of took it to him. Uh, just not a good night shooting for Park Rose. Really couldn't hit anything from outside. But still, you know, this is still a playoff team. They're still in third place in the end walk uh, and a lot of good things. You know, their, their coach uh, talks about turning this program around, you know, COVID kind of really hurt Park Rose's boys program. And, uh, you know, he's done a good job of quickly building it back uh, behind some of his seniors. Uh, so that story will be up there on the Portland Tribune site. Another one too, uh, it's my turn this week on our weekly uh, small school report that we do. And I've got some loaded on a uh, Dulesal North Catholic boys as well. Uh, it's going to be primarily around Quincy Aranda, their backup point guard. Uh, he's a junior coming off the bench, but uh, he's incredible. Uh, he was going to his story. He was thinking about transferring to Jefferson, uh, but ended up staying as a knight. Uh, and they they're glad that he did because he's shifty. He can you know get guys in the right spots. He can be knocked down shooter, and he's incredibly quick. You know, it, this is the kind of guy that. I mean, there's a reason he was thinking about Jefferson because his talent is not something you, you normally see at 3A. Uh, so he's helping a De La Salle team that really, I mean, it's he's great, but they're filled with great kids. You know, there's a sophomore Jalen Hill who's just this <laughs> fun, energetic, big center. He wears these goggles full of energy. He was fun to watch. Uh, and yeah, they've got a couple seniors too. Uh, Elliot Ball Dowling, who hit, I think he had seven three-pointers in a win over Westside Christian, the second-best team in their league. So, yeah, a lot of talent on that uh, De La Salle team that, you know, once again has its eyes on a 3A state title. So be looking out for that as well. Those are my big headlines. Andy, what's uh, what's going down in the South Zone? Slash Clackamas. Sorry. Slash Clackamas. So I'm a short change you know, It's interesting you say that because – uh, one probably my biggest headline of what I covered live last week actually happened for a team that I don't normally cover, but that is uh, new newly in my uh, field of vision now. 
uh, in this Clackamas Bureau. So I went to the Canby Wilsonville boys basketball game last week. Uh, walked in the gym expecting to see one thing, walked out of it uh, with a very different story. So uh, in case you had not seen the news, Canby, who came into the game 4-11 and on the season, uh, and I think 3-4 and in league play, uh, they defeated the number one team uh, in the state at the 5A level in Wilsonville. Uh, Wilsonville was playing without Kyle Counts, uh, one of their three main players. But, you know, this was still a, a very surprising uh, game. It was very low scoring game, too. I believe the final score was 34-29. Canby uh, just sort of showed up and, you know, they it, it was interesting because and I'm not sure that this ended up in my story because I didn't quite know how to put it in there. But uh, so Wilsonville was having their a silent night uh, game where their student section doesn't start cheering until they reach 10 points. Well, they had some trouble reaching 10 points. So they, you know, they're sitting there and this is in Wilsonville that this is happening. Um Canby comes out. Wilsonville can't score right off the bat. Canby's shutting them down, playing, you know, a lot of pressure defense. At the end of the first quarter, the score is 6-2 to two, Canby. So Wilsonville's student section is not cheering this whole time. Second quarter starts, and, they, you know, Wilsonville shows up finally. Um, and, you know, th- there's a huge <laughs> there's a huge moment where Callan Gutridge slams down an alley-oop to get to the 10 points and the whole crowd just goes crazy. You know, the whole, the whole building, it starts shaking. It feels like um, when Wilsonville scores that, and they tied the game up at that point too. It felt like for all the world, like, okay, whatever was going on before it's done. Now the game is in Wilsonville's hand. They've got the momentum. Um, That is not what happened. Like they they landed a solid punch on Canby, and Canby took it, and they they answered back. Um, I think Wilsonville, you know, went up by a point at halftime, and in the third quarter, you know, Canby just kept fighting and stayed in it. At the end of the third quarter, their freshman point guard Jackson Lawson hit a half court buzzer beater to take a one point lead into the into the fourth. It was just like a crazy game of, you know, I don't quite understand how Canby's doing this. You know, part of it was Wilsonville's own poor shooting. They shot under 30% in the second half, I'm pretty sure. And they shot under 35%, I think, for the whole game. Uh, Canby didn't shoot much better, though. They shot worse, actually, I believe. I think they shot under 30% for the whole game. You know, um, this was not a game where scoring was uh, a requirement to win. It was just uh, a crazy battle, a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots. It was not pretty all the time. But, you know, at the end of it, Canby has to make free throws uh, at, at the end of the, the game. I mean, that, I think they had one field goal in the fourth quarter, and that was it. The rest of it was free throws. Um, and one of their freshmen, Cohen Vandekovering, gets put on the line for six free throws in the fourth quarter and knocks down all six of them. Just just huge stuff, um, you know, in a in a game that big for Canby, uh, you know, playing the number one team in the league, number one team in the state, uh, playing them at their house to to kind of go in there and get that win to 
kind of show resilience through the, you know, the big dunk and explosion moment there uh, in the second quarter to to kind of keep fighting back. And then to close it out, having a freshman hit all those big free throws, that is that was just a really cool upset win. Um, you know, apologies to the Wilsonville crowd who might have been <laughs> hoping for a uh, a good story to come from me after that on, on their team, you know, getting another big win and all that. But because uh, sometimes you have to follow where the story takes you. And that day it took me to a, an upset, a big one. So um, on the Canby Herald website, I've got a, a story kind of going over what I just went through right there. But that that was just a, a probably the the coolest thing that I saw last week in terms of just you know really seeing kind of what these games mean not just you know in the standings or whatever but like the whole the can be brought a big group of people with them uh, and watching them celebrate that watching how you know the heroes welcome that the the candy kids got after the game you know when they finally came out of the locker room kind of seeing all that sort of just reminds you how uh, important the sports are in the community as well. You know, that it's more than just, you know, the wins and the losses that we kind of get a little bit of tunnel vision on, I think, or at least I do, uh, covering the sports and writing about them. You start kind of thinking just about how they're doing on, you know, in the, in the games and on the court. And in, it transcended that a little bit on Thursday night, kind of seeing can be pull off this huge upset and just kind of, seeing how important that was to, to all the people there. That was cool. Uh, other than that, I, I had some other things that I covered last week. I, I followed up on the Lake Oswego swim team, which is doing great uh, and hitting a stride going into three Rivers League districts, which are coming up soon. I, I did see the Westland boys basketball team defeat Lake Ridge and did some stories on both of those teams. Uh, you know, with Westland really focusing on how they're kind of not getting – how they're going to try to beat back getting complacent in league play. Um, you know, obviously Tualatin is a huge, huge matchup in this league. Past that, you know, Tigard is a really good team, but there are some opportunities to maybe fall asleep at the wheel a little bit in the Three Rivers League. And so kind of talked with uh, head coach Robert Key and, and point guard Jackson Shellstad a little bit about how they're going to avoid doing that. On the flip side, I talked with Lake Ridge uh, head coach David Duong about kind of how his team can bounce back from a slow start. You know, they're 0-2, and uh, one of the players that they were expecting to have this year, Tristan Davis, um, who had transferred in from Wilsonville State Championship team last year, he's dealing with an injury that's just, he, he's not going to be playing this season now. So Lakers is kind of, um, you know, the the calculus has changed on their season, I suppose, to some degree, Um uh, but they're not they're not done yet. They're not done fighting, and they're still trying to get one of these final playoff spots. So kind of checked in with with the Lake Ridge team too to see kind of how they're approaching that fight for a playoff spot later uh, coming down. Also had some cool stuff from the OSA Today website. Uh, one very cool story on Vanelle Imby, a senior wrestler at Wilsonville High School. Um, she came to the um, United States from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, I think five years ago. Um, and she kind of found wrestling, found a new home out there on the mat. So this isn't my story. Uh, it's John Tawa from OSA Today, but it's a really cool story. It's a really good feature. Uh, and I've seen Vanelle in person wrestle. She's a good wrestler too. So it's more than just a good story. 
um, kind of, but it's a nice profile of a, a solid athlete who I think has a 20 and five record going into districts this weekend. So um, very, very cool story there. I suggest you check that out. It's on, a, it's on our website, the Wilsonville spokesman website, as well as the OSA today um, website. And past that, I think those are pretty much my uh, my big headlines here. Uh, I had a couple other that came in from from other reporters covering my team. So Clackham is beating Clackham is girls beating Barlow, uh, Oregon City girls beating Tigard. Uh, got some good stories from Christopher Kaiser and Jim Beseda there as well. So lots of good stuff all over the place. Uh, lots to cover. So I will. Uh, Take a breath now, finally, and I'll pass it off to Tanner for our last headlines. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I covered a few different things last week. Um, I got to see Country Christian, the 1A team situated between Colton and Malala, uh, overcome a 19-point deficit to beat Portland Waldorf. I talked to head coach Dawson Offsager afterwards, and he was like, yeah, that's the biggest uh, comeback I've ever, I've ever been the coach of. Um, and he was really proud of his guys, really proud of um, freshman guard Tyson Smith, who kind of led the way. I think he had like uh, maybe five threes in the game and had a, a bunch of free throws towards the end to like put him over the put him over the finish line. Um, I also got out to see Newburgh girls basketball um, beat Sherwood to kind of put their name at the top of the Pacific Conference. Um, Sherwood without their number one player, but, uh, you know, Newberg beat who was in front of them, and they look good doing it. They have moved um, uh, sophomore Lydia Gray from the three-point line inside the paint, and that's kind of, like, revolutionized their offense, like, made them a lot more consistent. They're averaging over 44 points a game, I think, was the math. Um, just looking real solid. They're 4-1 and one in the Pacific now, and uh, with Gray kind of as that, like, bruiser down low and with the shooting of um, – is Macris and Peyton Lindell on the outside. Um, they're they're looking like a threat and uh, and could reasonably uh, win that Pacific Conference title going down the line. Um, other things I saw uh, the wood no I saw the Kennedy boys basketball team lose a heartbreaker to Salem Academy up ten with about three minutes to go. Just could not overcome the steals and sharpshooting of the Crusaders down the line, kind of kind of the opposite of that country Christian story where it was the the other team kind of pulling away to, to take over. Um, Kennedy uh, kind of trying to find themselves. Uh, they sit third in league, I believe, maybe fourth behind, um, who is it? Western Christian, Salem Academy, and Sandy Am. So, just trying to trying to get there, trying to trying to figure some things out ahead of the postseason. And then the last thing um, I chatted with Woodburn boys basketball coach Raul Valiz over the phone. Um, talked to him about going nine and zero to start the league season, um, winning most of those games on the road. Uh, they have nine games left before the playoffs, and they have eight home games therein. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that momentum rolling uh, and and I think lay claim to their first league title in at least over a decade. It might be it might be much more than that, but I'm not sure. Um, I'll have to double check. Um, but those can be found on the Malala Pioneer websites, uh, 
Newberg Graphic and Woodburn Independent websites, respectively. Um, so go check those out. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Wade actually, uh, Wade had to hop off. Wade had something <laughs> going on behind the scenes. So uh, the, the three of us will will uh, close out our, our stock risers here, and then you can stop hearing us talk and listen to Jed. You know, he's, he was a great interview for us. So, uh, yeah, so stock risers. Uh, I can go first, pull my best Wade impression here. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, let's see, Kuvari Davis of uh, Park Rose Boys Basketball. Uh, he was fun to watch. You know, I I talked about Quincy Aranda from De La Salle in our headlines portion, and Kuvari Davis is pretty similar style. You know, a very speedy guard, um, and kind of really, you know, watching Park Rose on a bad night, he still had a good night. You know, directing guys, you know, putting guys in the right spots. They didn't necessarily finish a lot, but, you know, he got them into their spots and get around the defense, you know, toward the end, you know, in the second half when Park Rose was trying to make their comeback, he was really leading the way. I mean, he was just, you know, for lack of a, a better example, really played like Damian Lillard. I mean, whether he was trying to shoot a three or, you know, trying to just drive inside and get to the free throw line, you know, they were constantly having troubles trying to slow him down, fouling him, you know, getting a couple and ones there. You know, it was, you know, a little too, too little too late for them, but, he looked fantastic and, you know, talking with their head coach, Donnell Morgan, after, you know, Kavari's been big about rebuilding this Park Rose program. You know, he's a senior. He's been around. He's seen the lowest of the lows with there. And now they're, you know, shaping up to be a playoff team. So and a lot of it's because of what Kavari does on the floor and guiding them. Uh, another big stock raiser, too, uh, you know, to kind of plug what's going on this weekend, we have the Already, it's uh, the district meets for girls wrestling, and uh, we put together some previews. You know, these Andy and Tanner here as well for their areas put these together. And, you know, that was a good thing to go through, kind of get us all caught up what's going on. And, you know, there's some big names in here. But uh, one I really wanted to mention was, uh, where did it go? I scrolled away. What have I done? At Cleveland, there's a couple. There's Maya Krupp. You know, Cleveland girls wrestling, you know, it obviously starts with Haley Van, uh, state champion every year that Oregon's done a girls wrestling state championship. She's 32-0 and 0 this year. That's not a stock riser. She's pretty much at the top. Uh, but going through this, there's a couple other good Cleveland uh, girls wrestlers that need to be mentioned. Uh, Maya Kruger at 140 pounds. She's a sophomore at Cleveland. She's 21-9 and nine this year. And looking at Looking at that 140 area, you know, I'm not sure that she's going to face too much, uh, Maya Kruger there. there. There's a girl from Beaverton, uh, another girl from uh, Roosevelt, but Maya Kruger, she's kind of in line to have a great district there, see what happens there. Uh, and then another big one is from Cleveland, another sophomore is uh, Isabel Herring. She's 37 and 6, which it's incredible that she even got that much mat time because. No, girls wrestling is still new. It's kind of hard to find all these matches. So wrestling 43 times, that's impressive. And winning 37 of them, uh, Isabel Herring. But at 170, she's going to face some uh, competition from potentially Vita Boscovich from Roosevelt, uh, PIL rival. Both of them have been great. Uh, Vita's 12-1 and this season, so not as much mat time, but obviously still an impressive record. So uh, 170, that's going to be a battle kind of between PIL foes there this weekend which 
those districts are going down February 3rd and 4th at Century High School for District 1. Uh, there's some other ones going around. Andy, probably District 2, where's that's in Salem somewhere, right? District 2 uh, at uh, West Albany High School. Albany, gotcha. I'm still yeah. learning my Oregon geography. But, well, that's all right. As somebody, Albany's who, close, who, right? Like it's like like a little offshoot from Salem, uh, or is Albany the one that's? It's near closer to Corvallis. So Corvallis, Corvallis and <laughs> Albany kind of they have their own little rivalry going on there in terms of of cities. Uh, a little bit. So Albany is right off of uh, Highway 34 um, from. From Corvallis, sorry, gotcha. <laughs> lost my train of thought there for a second. Highway yeah, 34 off of I-5. That's what I was uh, trying to say, I believe. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, but yeah, Albany's just a little bit east of of Corvallis, about 10 miles or so. Um, but but yeah, so so that'll be going down kind of in my ancestral home down there uh, a little bit. Um, no, that that it should be it should be interesting to see kind of what what comes out. What's interesting about the new special districts for the girls wrestling too, um, you know, that they're splitting it up into big school and small school now. So you've got six A, five A, um, District Two is happening down there in West Albany, but that that district includes teams from you know out in like Bend and Redmond as well um, as the teams in the Salem area and some of the Southern Metro, you know, not, not the PIL schools or anything like that, but you are still getting uh, the Westlands, the Wilsonvilles, the Woodburns. Uh, then you're getting the Salem schools, you're getting Newburgh, you're getting a pretty big, uh, pretty big area covered here. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have, I, I have a similar wrestler out here uh, like you do. You have Haley Van who's going to dominate everything. For me, Destiny Rodriguez is one of those. Um, she's, you know, one of the country's best wrestlers. Number three in the in the pound for pound rankings that I saw last nationwide for high school wrestlers. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm not. I would be very shocked if uh, Destiny is not celebrating another district title uh, at the end of this weekend and the state title in a few weeks, but. Uh, there's some other interesting ones to look at there. Um, like I mentioned before with the OSAA Today story that John Tawa did, Vanel Imbi um, is a stock riser, I would say, for the for the wrestling. Just really Wilsonville girls wrestling in general, though. Um, they've got a nice program there this year, and hopefully they can uh, qualify some of them for state uh, and, and get there. I don't believe they had a qualifier for state last year uh, on the girls' side, so... Having a couple of them uh, in the mix, uh, not just Vanilla Imbi, Jasmine Brown, uh, Megan Haas, and Isabella Quesada are uh, a couple others who are perhaps in line to to get one of those uh, state qualifier spots for Wilsonville. Um, so we'll we'll see how it all goes down, but it it is cool to kind of have girls wrestling be so you know increasingly popular that they have to start splitting it up into you know cutting it up into newer and newer districts that's good you know we, we like that so that that is great to see so stock riser just in general the sport of girls wrestling there um as for uh one individual stock riser i'm going to go ahead and say jackson lawson from canby boys basketball uh freshman point guard 
uh, who I mentioned, you know, he he tied for the team lead in scoring in that upset win over Wilsonville. Uh, he and senior Connor Gensman both had 10 points. Um, but the the real thing was just that, you know, he was on the floor the whole time. Uh, he was running the show, running the point guard position very well. When he hit the half-court buzzer beater, I heard the crowd start ch- chanting, you know, uh, he's a freshman. And I was thinking, who who's a freshman? Did I miss who got that? Because I didn't, I just, I hadn't like looked at the roster to to kind of, put this in my head and Camby's not the team I normally cover, but I didn't put together that that was the freshman. Uh, so, you know, I don't necessarily think he's an all state talent quite yet or anything like that, but he is, he plays with some good confidence. He he doesn't make a ton of mistakes, plays with good defensive intensity, uh, can score the ball a bit, you know? So yeah, just a guy who was not on my radar at all, but I, I did actually see him a couple times last week um, at different spots and did not realize he was a freshman. And I think that's saying something uh, when you're running the point guard position and it's not obvious that you're a freshman. Uh, you're clearly doing something right. So good job, Jackson. You are my stock riser for this week. Yeah, um, I would also second what Andy said about the sport of girls wrestling kind of blowing up enough that you need to, all right, divided between larger schools in, you know, the metro area or whatever and like and smaller schools. Uh, I think that's a good thing for not only girls wrestling, but like wrestling generally. Um, it shows that it's still kind of a draw. So that's that's very cool. Um, keeping on that theme, I wanted to uh, go with um, for one of my stock risers. Um, Jervis Jr. Soraya Zapata. Um, she is nine and zero on the season. Uh, coming into the special districts. Um, in the four A through one A. Uh, let's see which one are they in region one. Um, she. I think she's gonna. She should be favored. One of the favorites in that one hundred and thirty five pound weight class. Um, she's gonna have tough outs against um Hannah Hernandez of Ontario. Madison Mewison of Scapoose, um, Felicity Murphy-Snyder of Tillamook, who was the 135-pound champ uh, at Districts last year. Um, it, that that weight class is one of the more stacked um, coming into it. And But I think Zapata, just given, like, um, you know, her family's pedigree of wrestling, I think uh, she should be considered one of the favorites going in. Um, so I would consider her one of my stock risers. And then... Um, we touched on this um, in our interview with Jed coming up, but I think, um, you know, Woodburn boys basketball completing a clean sweep through the first half of league. Um, that's no small feat. Uh, they are, um, you know, one of the elite in the state of Oregon, number three overall, um, 12 and three uh, on the year. They're They're looking really good. And part of that is, you know, thanks to, um, floor General Cruz Valiz, Shooter Spencer Karstboom, um, Anchor and uh, sometimes three-point sniper Liam Slatham, 6'8", from West Salem. Uh, I think I think the Woodburn stock has never been higher. So if you're gonna if you're gonna get in there, buy now. Um, and we'll touch on that more when we talk to Jed coming up. So uh, I think those are the two that I'm gonna go with in terms of stock risers. Perfect. Awesome. Well, that's a good tease for Jed, what we got coming up. So 
I'll throw it to Wade. We, we, we talked to him before we did this part, so Wade will be back over there. You'll hear Wade's voice more. Uh, but yeah, we'll throw it over to Wade, Jed, and the rest of us talking some boys who... All right, this week we're going to take a little, uh, going to take a detour of what we normally do on a weekly basis here on the From the Sidelines podcast. We're going to talk to Jed Ty from Prep Hoops, Oregon. Jed, nice to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we start by, why don't you kind of give everybody a little bit of a background on on you and, and your road to Prep Hoops, Oregon, and uh, then talk about your website. Yeah, sure. Uh, so myself, uh, Jet Tie, um, Prep Hoops, Oregon. I've been here in the Oregon area, Portland area, since 2002. Uh, moved here from Dallas, Texas, where I had been working. Um, kind of been covering um, basketball at all levels for quite some time. I've got some history um, doing some college basketball writing. I've done some um, writing with the NBA, um, worked on their, some of their publications of the NBA draft. Uh, when I moved here in Oregon, I Got really involved in the high school scene and uh, covered uh, high school basketball and football, actually, um, for Rivals.com, for the Oregon Preps website uh, from 2002 to 2008. So I had the opportunity on the basketball side covering guys like Kevin Love, Kyle Singler, Brad Tinsley, Terrence Jones, uh, you name it. It was kind of a golden era of Oregon high school basketball. Uh, took a break in 2008 to uh, focus on some personal stuff and then 2018 came back after about a decade away and connected with prep hoops oregon and been with them ever since um it's kind of neat to get back into the scene it's a definitely looks a lot different than it did back then um but at the same time um while talent might not be quite the same uh prep hoops oregon has a little bit of a different focus on that we cover not just the d1 guys but everybody and the, the, the whole goal of Prep Hoops Oregon is to get um, kind of attention on to anybody who can play college basketball, whether it be Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, JUCO, and give them more opportunities to connect with college coaches. I have a lot of connections, a lot of college coaches in the area. And, um, you know, especially at the lower levels of basketball, they don't have a lot of resources in terms of, you know, recruiting services and things like that. So they kind of rely on folks like myself to talk to. And, you know, we have a lot of rankings. I'm not a big rankings guy, but, we, you know, we have a lot of rankings, a lot of lists of players. And college coaches can go to these rankings and these lists and say, oh, you know, this kid looks interesting. Tell me about what he's like. Should I go out and go see this kid play? And then I'm able to help kind of advise um, based on some of the kids that I've seen and, um, you know, give the information to college coaches so they can perhaps, you know, recruit these kids. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a, like I said, it's kind of a different scene than covering the Kevin Loves and Kyle Singlers of the world way back in the day, but um, it's very enjoyable. I love uh, interacting with a lot of different kids, a lot of the high school coaches in the area. Another thing I kind of do on the, uh, with the website and the Twitter page is, you know, with the change in how media works these days, uh, with newspapers and things like that, there's not like a, you know, you open up the paper in the next day and kind of see who scored what and that kind of thing. So I try to fill in the gaps of, since I have a lot of relationships, a lot of the 5A and 6A coaches in particular, um, they'll send me their score sheets after every single game. And I post kind of the highlights on Twitter. And that's kind of been a really, really um, fun thing. I think a lot for the kids, parents, coaches um, to, you know, kind of see, Oh yes, you know, I scored 25 points and 
you know, got 10 rebounds, or, you know, whatever information the, the coach is having to send me, I'm able to, to post online. So uh, it does make for some very busy game evenings <laughs> going into the, the middle of the night. But um, I think it's a it's a great service that's kind of lacking right now. So I'm really happy to do that. Yeah, I'd say from uh, as a media person, I would also say we we are uh, very appreciative of the work there that you're doing, too, to kind of help us, you know, bridge some of the gap there and and to kind of get an idea of where some of these stories are starting to pop up. You know, so I think that service is really cool to be able to, you know, not just not just for the kids to, you know, see themselves tagged in the Twitter post and be like, yeah, I scored all these points, but, you know, to really let everybody else know what's going on too, so that, you know, further work can be done, you know, finding out, going and seeing the kid live, you know, like you said, the coaches can find out about this, you know, college coaches too. Um, But, you know, it just kind of, I think it just helps everybody to kind of have a better idea of what's really going on in, in, in the hoops community. Oh yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just it's just neat, you know. I, you know, I used to do a lot of the you know kind of classic journalism stuff, you know, interviews and quotes and game stories and stuff like that. But you know, kind of gotten more, you know, this social media age and how kids are so tied in with the Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. And you know, just you know, grabbing a couple of kids after the game, take their you know headshot afterwards and post it on Twitter. I mean, it's just like you know, for some of these kids, but you know, even if like you know, kid off the bench he's not going to play college ball or anything, but just to get his picture, you know, on social media, it's like, the, you know, made, made his day, you know, I, I love, I love doing that. <laughs> and it's just kind of really, really cool. I have the opportunity and the platform to be able to do that for, for these kids. So. I think it's interesting too, Jed, that you talked about how um, it's not just division one schools. It's not the Kevin loves the Kyle singlers. It's the kids that may play division two, II, division three, NAIA. And I think a lot of people um, kind of forget that when they're watching games, they talk about kids, oh, this kid's got offers from this this school or that school. But, um, you know, it's, it goes way beyond these Division One players who are few and far between. It really does uh, speak to a lot of the the smaller schools in the area and the kids that are capable of playing there, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And especially if you talk about, you know, junior college, you know, when you go to junior college, you're still recruitable. You never know if a kid from here, you know, ends up going to junior college, what they might develop into. I mean, a great example would be, um, Shay Riley, who's, uh, you know, playing major minutes at Seattle University, you know, three years ago, he's at, you know, De La Salle, he leads him to two straight state titles at De La Salle North, and great athlete, you know, doesn't look like he's really ready to play Division One basketball. He goes um, to junior college, the City College of San Francisco, you know, on an undefeated team, basically, for two years, and next thing you know, he's a Division One player, and now he's playing major minutes for a team that's leading the whack. It's, uh, you just never know. With some of these kids, what what they what that might even develop into? There's some not ready right out of high school, but you know, junior college they develop their phys- their body develops more physically, their skills improve, they're going up against big time competition, um, they become a Division One player, you know. So you never know. It's it's just kind of cool. And even the ones who decide to go to small college, they might be a better fit. You know, a kid I can think of you know, a couple years ago, Stevie Schleyback, who played at Tiger High School. Big time scorer, you know, but just didn't quite have the physical ability to maybe guard guys at the Division One level. Yeah, I mean, he could probably go somewhere and walk on. So then he goes to NAIA, goes to Bushnell, and like he's going to be like one of their all-time leading best players of all time. It's just it was the perfect fit for him, and it's just neat to see that along the line. And like you said, Wade, it's sometimes we forget about these lower lower levels, but kids can go somewhere 
you know, be ultra successful on the basketball court. More importantly, they get their education paid for. And that's really, really a cool thing to see. You know, here locally in the Hillsborough area recently, there was a, a, a similar story where Bella Hamill, who had gone to Liberty High School, um, and I think she might have been one of the casualties of COVID as well. Uh, you know, you probably have seen that, too, where kids over the over that COVID year and year after the recruiting process really became interesting. And, you know, with scholarships still being available for kids for, to be in school longer, you know, some of these kids slip through the cracks and a girl like, you know, Bella, who would, I believe went to Lane Community College, you know, just accepted a, a scholarship to to University of Oregon, and she'll be playing for the Ducks the next couple of years. Uh, I know you guys, you don't do much, if any, uh, work with girls uh, basketball in the area, but, you know, those are similar stories, and, you know, they're really, you know, they're they're not as infrequent as people think. You know, kids yeah. going off to smaller schools and then graduating kind of up through the ranks to places where maybe they weren't qualified or eligible for, you know, in the beginning. Exactly, exactly. In fact, I would say even if we go back to my you know, first time um, through this at Jefferson High School. I mean, a bunch of those kids ended up going to junior college, but ended up Division One afterwards. I mean, there's just a whole big long list. I actually have this uh, spreadsheet that I keep that's kind of has a history of Division One Oregon players that ended up going to Division One, and it's just littered with guys who started their careers off at junior college, or even you know, in today's today's world, the transfer portal. You can start off at Division Two NAI and end up transferring to Division One. So you know you never know what might happen. Absolutely, and that's kind of a good transition. And the first thing I think we want to talk with you about, Chad, was uh, some under the radar guys that you've seen this season. You know, guys that you know not the not the Jackson Shellsteads of the world, <laughs> the, yeah. the guys that have kind of gone under the radar. You know, don't get as much mention. Uh, I don't know if you've got any guys you. Worth mentioning here. Yeah, you know, a guy that immediately comes to mind. You know, I recently put out a, an article talking about who were kind of the preseason favorites for each of the league's uh, player of the year awards in 6A. And a guy that immediately stands out to me because he plays in, um, I mean, plays in a really good program, super successful, but they're typically kind of outside of the, you know, the PIL powers, the Metro League powers. Uh, but it's Matthew Burkamp over at Sherwood. Um, he's been put, putting together a tremendous senior season there at Sherwood. Um, you know, doing great scoring, um, rebounding, assists, you know, just an all-around great player. Um, he's just kind of lost in the shuffle because, you know, Sherwood just kind of is under the radar, um, largely among the, you know, in terms of, you know, the, um, you know, the hype and things like that. Uh, you know, Sherwood also came into the season, their star player is uh, J- uh, Jared Sucher. He was, you know, he's got Division II offers, OIT, uh, Western Oregon. Um, but, you know, he was injured at the beginning of the year, and that's where guys like uh, Matthew Verkamp, also another teammate of his, Bray and Kelly, stepped up and, um, you know, provided a lot of the scoring and, and assists and things like that. And even since Sutra has come back in mid-year, Verkamp has continued to be kind of their main guy. And it's 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 been really cool to see. I, I think he's a, a great case for someone who's a kind of an under-radar guy. You know, at this point, might end up being an all-state type of player. So it's, it's pretty pretty cool to see. Absolutely. And, you know, rest of y'all guys, if you got someone too under the radar, feel free to hop in or if you got something to say about someone Jed mentions as well. Well, I did have a question, though, for Jed. Like um, you mentioned, like it's outside like the PIL and the metro area, like Sherwood competes in the Pacific Conference, which is like, you know, maybe the weakest conference at 6A, just like when you look at like state rankings and stuff like that. Like, I know, I know. (laughs) Wait and I, wait and I, that's. That's our beat. But um, how much does like playing in a in a weaker conference like affect 
uh, the looks that they're going to go from from coaches going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it does kind of hurt a little bit in terms of the exposure. Um, you know, obviously, if you're if you're a PI, like, for example, I went to the what's that MLK showcase and you had college coaches there. Right. You know, you had PIL, you had you know, Tualatin playing there. You had, um, you know, some other big time, big name schools, a lot of big time prospects. Um, so, yeah, if you're normal you know, Liberty century game is probably not going to get a lot of attention, <laughs> but you know, if you, if you can play another kind of under radar guy, I just thought of, um, who's, you know, came out of kind of nowhere. I didn't really heard of him before this season is uh sophomore James Kepkin at, at Liberty. I mean, he's averaging over what, 22 points a game. He's, he's notched a couple of 30 point games, great shooter. Um, unfortunately, you know, the one game I got to see of Liberty this year, I think he scored like two points. I think it was some foul trouble, but um, well, I can yeah. I can vouch for him. I I watched him in that double. I think it was a double overtime game against Clackamas, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he had like 29 in that game or something. So yeah, I can I can vouch for Kefkin being uh, very good and able to kind of just put the team on his back and and like you said, kind of an unassuming character a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would see even on, going into the year, you would think of guys like um, Bradford or um, you know Dominic. As, as kind of their main guys, right? They were kind of, you know, these athletes and, you know, super quick. They played high-profile AAU basketball. And so, you know, they're kind of the guys. But here's this guy, you know, Kepkin, who didn't even play varsity last year, and he's averaging 22 a game. So, but yeah, kind of go back to, you know, what you asked, uh, Tanner. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little tougher. But, you know, I think once you get on the radar of maybe one college coach, you know, with Sherwood, I know, um, you know, guys like Brian Kelly and Burkamp, they're starting to get attention from some of the D3 schools. Um, like, you know, F- George Fox is really close, right? Or Linfield, you know, they you catch the attention of those guys. And, th- and the way the coaching ranks work, you know, they talk amongst each other. So they they know who's a good player. And, and hey, maybe you this might not be good for us, but might be a good fit for you. You know, so it, it's kind of kind of that's kind of how that word spreads with stuff like that. Have you seen also that with these smaller schools, and I know myself talking to some of the coaches in the Division three level, um, you know, in a, in a way, those schools tend to kind of lay in the weeds, um, waiting to see maybe if kids are who they're being recruited by and whether or not they're maybe, for lack of a better way of putting it, out of their league. I know yeah. it, it, I, yeah. I know with football that happens quite a bit where these division three schools essentially wait for these kids to kind of fall into their laps, you know, because kids, you know, like, like anybody, they, they, they have eyes on bigger things, right. Bigger and better. And when those things don't come to fruition, then they have to maybe go to fallback situations. And, you know, a lot of cases, these D D three schools are those, those fallback schools. Right. So I just yeah. wonder if maybe some of these coaches kind of wait a bit, see where these kids kind of fall, fall into what category they fall into and then kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that happens all the time. You know, I remember uh, talking with Justin Lunt, a head coach at Pacific over at um, the MLK Showcase, spending some time with him. And we were going over these these names and he'd be like, oh, he, that, you know, that kid's too good for us. You know, or this kid is too good for us. He's probably not even going to look at us. But, you know, things don't quite pan out, you know, with the transfer portal, especially at Division One, even Division Two now, um, you know, not a lot of scholarships you know, to give things fall apart or whatever, you know, these guys can fall into their laps. And so they're just ready. They continue to make the, you know, keep the connections going. And two, maybe they don't get them right out of school. You know, um, they decide to go to a higher level and it doesn't pan out. Then they can transfer back down to someplace else. So you kind of recruit for the bounce back. You know, a lot of 
Uh, even at the Division One level, Portland State does that a lot. They keep in touch with a lot of local kids because, you know, they go off somewhere like, you know, Texas or East Coast or whatever. Things don't work out. They want to come back home. Oh, they got a place. Portland State. Love them out of high school. So they come back and play for Portland State. And they've in the past, you know, they've had some great, um, great success with that. You know, recently, uh, Jeremiah Dominguez, who played at South Salem in the in the 2000s, you know, he just got nominated into their their Hall of Fame. He was a bounce back. I mean, he went to University of Portland, so it's not too much. But that team had guys, you know, Phil Nelson, who originally went to Washington, Dominic Waters, who originally went to Hawaii. You know, that ended up being the core of two teams that ended up the only two teams in Portland State history to go to the NCAA tournament. So, kind of he's be able to still recruit for the bounce back, you know, that that's, that's a important thing that a lot of these college, college coaches do. Well, it's still got, you know, I'll give you an even more recent example for Portland state too, with Cameron Parker, who's there right now, uh, you know, from Jesuit, I think he went to Montana and then to sacred heart, you know, out in New York. And now, you know, back at Portland state uh, and really, you know, doing a a good job with that team right now too. Um, You know, not that he wasn't, also really prolific with Montana and Sacred Heart, but, uh, you know, it just, like, it's a good example of exactly what you're talking about, staying in touch, keeping with those local guys, and then when the when the opportunity arises, boom, you already have that connection there, and, you know, you can come bring it back, and works out really well. Yeah, exactly, you know, right before him was Khalid Thomas, right, he was at Arizona State, came back, you know, you had Charles Jones, Utah, came back, so, yeah, it's just, you know, it's important for these, um, you know, local schools to maintain contact because, you know, so many kids do go away. And, you know, there's the allure of, oh, man, East Coast is so much fun and, you know, something different. And they get out there and it's like, eh, I don't know if I really like this. And, you know, and they thought they wanted to be away from Portland, but it turns out they want to be back home. So, you know, that's, it's, it's kind of neat to, to see that when they do decide to come back home, there is a place for them. Portland State's okay after all, you know. So right now, I I have a question for you, uh, kind of about recruiting a little bit here, um, and especially with some of your experience outside of the state as well. Uh, be interested to get your perspective with the shot clock coming to Oregon. How do you feel like that is going to improve, you know, these kids' chances of catching on, you know, with 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 other colleges, you know, just in general? Yeah, I think just in general, it's going to be a good thing because they play with a shot clock at the college level. So, you know, um, I don't think it's going to impact a huge amount of difference because most teams don't, you know, just stall or sit around the zone. And, you know, I, I know some of the examples people often use are, you know, Beaverton and Jesuit, you know, especially when they play each other, it just ends up being like this, you know, game in the 20s. You know, there's a little more like a strategy type thing going on there. But normally these guys, they they play fairly, you know, as if the shot clock doesn't really matter. So, you know, it, it's a uh, yeah, I, I think it's 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 overall a good thing. But I think for the most part, most most guys are in systems that highlight their abilities and, you know, they're they're playing semi up tempo or just normal basketball. So, um, but yeah, it, it's going to be a good thing. I think for the fans, mostly it's going to be a lot sure. of fun. Yeah, yeah, no more sitting around, guys holding the ball at half court and, you know, waiting for the other team to come out of the zone. I don't think, I think we can all benefit from not seeing that. (laughs) Right. Jen, I'd be curious to know how much, um, you know, with the way in which the recruiting 
process has changed over the last maybe really decade with uh, AAU basketball and and uh, you know summers and club stuff being coming more more and more important. Like how much do the games like the high school games actually apply when it comes to recruiting now? And uh, is that primarily for the smaller schools or really are these high school games, you know, do, do they people pay attention to them, I guess, uh, from a recruiting standpoint? I think they still matter, especially like you said, with the um, high, uh, the smaller schools, the junior colleges. You know, they don't really have the budgets to be flying, jet setting all over the place, following teams around. I mean, a lot, I know a lot of them do go to Vegas because that's the big place that club teams play in july um or la there's a lot of stuff that goes on there so they do but they don't have a lot of resources right and especially locally um you'll see lewis and clark you'll see uh uh, pacific you'll see linfield you'll see the junior colleges you know pcc um head coach tony broadis going around to games around town because you know it's 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 cheap and there's some quality action and kids are still playing hard. They're playing within a system. You know, club, a lot of club ball is still as much as talent as there is, is still rolling out the ball and letting guys just, you know, play. And, and there's not a whole lot of structure. You know, you have, you have guys who will just shoot 20 times in a game and maybe make five and everybody else is just kind of standing around. You're not going to see that a lot in high school. <laughs> kids not going to get away with that too often. So when there's a little more structure, you can kind of get a better feel for how a kid is and also how he's being coached, how he responds to coaching, um, you know, what his demeanor is, how hard he plays. Um, you might not necessarily get that in AU or club basketball. So and and like I said, with the transfer portal now, I think even AAU is, is a little less, you know, guys looking to get people right out of high school, probably more so at the you know, super top level of Division One. Um, but you know, I think you know high school basketball and recruiting sense still has uh, you know a lot of importance, especially at the the smaller school level. Good. That's why we're all here watching. So sorry, wait. What were you going to ask? Wait. <laughs> I was just going to say I was just going to ask him. Uh, you know, kind of transitioning. You know, we talked about Kefkin at Liberty, but I'm curious if there's anybody that you've kind of noticed uh, younger kids, be it freshmen or sophomores, that that have kind of jumped out to you uh, this year that that maybe people to watch going forward. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so the freshman that really stood out to me uh, that I saw recently is uh, a young man. My name is Zamir Pashal at Central Catholic. Uh, he's best known as BAM. Um, he's been getting major minutes there at Central Catholic, just has a real good feel for the game. He's already picked up a scholarship offer from the University of Portland early on. He's, he's the only one in that class, I believe, who has a scholarship offer so far. Um, but just, yeah, just just a great young player who just knows how to play knows has a great sense for the feel, has a great feel for the game is a good athlete only going to get better uh, another kid who's also made a real big impact as a freshman uh, is uh, eli visconde at a uh, mountainside uh, big time shooter he is just money from the corners um he kind of began the season coming off the bench but when um quinn haberman um, had his ankle injury and was out for the season he got promoted into the starting lineup and he, he's just done a tremendous job just catching and shooting. He knows exactly <laughs> how, how, what, what his purpose is, and he does it just so so well. Just spots up in the corner, and he's just money. Pure swish every single time. It's, it's, it's really fun to watch. Um, those are a couple of the freshmen, I think. Um, you know, and a guy um, I, I, who has the, probably the best reputation, we actually have him ranked um, number one in the class, is uh, Adrian Montague at, at Jefferson. Uh, he's 
another kid who has a, a nickname. His name is nickname is Fuzzy. And I haven't got to see him um, play in person yet this season. I've just seen him in practice and in workouts. But uh, another left-handed kid, um, just really a good scorer. Um, he's a high-level kid who I think eventually will be a Division one recruit as well. Yeah, Ted, I'm glad you mentioned him because uh, I got to see Fuzzy in person against uh, – he played Benson. Benson was bleeding pretty much the whole time, but the fourth quarter, I mean, Montague was pretty much the reason Jefferson made that a game. You know, he made a couple three-pointers, really directing traffic for Jefferson's offense. Like, I, he didn't really look like a freshman in that fourth quarter. You know, the other three, there were some turnovers, you know, did kind of look, you know, look his age, but – that fourth quarter showed me the kind of potential that he has right there. Yeah, so. yeah, and I don't know, you know, and I've known Pat Strickland for a really long time, and 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 had some conversations with him about Fuzzy, and you know, he's just he's just a very mature, especially on the floor. I mean, for a freshman, you know, he's a vocal leader, and kids are already looking to him to leave for, as a freshman, and I think that speaks, you know, volumes about the kind of player that he has and the potential that he has moving forward. I know you mentioned uh, Eli Visconde at Mountainside. I'm curious to to maybe hear your take on Braden Bow and and what the conversation has been around him that maybe that you've heard about from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, Braden Bow. Wow, you know I had it, I had him pegged as an all, a first team um, all league guy, but now we're talking about he's elevated his game to the point where he's the first team all state player, probably Metro League Player of the Year. Um, you know I've, I've talked off the record of a couple of other Metro League coaches and they opposing coaches and they believe that he's right now the Metro League player of the year. Um just 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 an incredible talent, you know, uh for a sophomore, he's been handed the reins. He is the point guard. He is the point guard at Mountainside. He is the one who doing all the ball handling. He is just an unbelievable passer, has a great feel for um you know, finding guys open, great court vision, just pinpoint passing and just physically he's just for for a for a sophomore um he's just such a hard guy to match up with he'll back guys down he has this little uh, one-step fade back jumper that he he nails he'll draw finish through contact and you know he's also improved his athleticism you know before this season i think mountainside had had maybe one dunk in its history and it was a barely a guy who barely got it in and he's just thrown down some big time jams this year, just driving and dunking in traffic over people. It's pretty, it's been pretty amazing. And this is, you know, he's only a sophomore. And you know, trust me, college coaches are well aware of him. Um, I think what was the one game I went to? I think it was against uh, was it against Beaverton. You had at least you know you had several. Uh, Portland State was there. University of San Francisco was there. Um, you had other people, they've been keeping a good eye. He's got offers from University of Portland, uh, Seattle, uh, U has offered him as well. And, you know, I think, yeah, he, he's, he's big time. I think, uh, we've moved him up to number two in the class behind, um, shoot, I can't even remember. <laughs> we have right number one, but. Winner's yeah. Grady, I would imagine. Winner's Grady, yeah, winner's okay, Grady. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense, yeah. So, that, Bray, Braden's right there, right up there with him, in my opinion. Yeah. You mentioned Winters Grady, uh, you know, and transitioning to the Three Rivers League a bit. I'm curious your thoughts on Jaden Stepp at Tualatin, uh, you know, being a junior and, and getting his first, you know, starting minutes this year. You've seen him uh, break out a bit. Uh, I'm curious maybe what the conversation has been around him. Oh, yeah. Again, another uh, for sure Division One player. He's got Division One offers, uh, Portland State, Montana, kind of big sky level i think um pac-12 is starting to get interested in him as well 
I think the, the big uh, key with Jaden this year I've seen is that he is playing with some sense of urgency. His motor is improved. Um, I think, you know, maybe there was some talk that, you know, he wasn't um, playing as hard, but I haven't seen any kind of laziness from him at all this year. He's playing hard. He's, uh, you know, he, he likes to really express that he's not a post player. <laughs> you know, he's, he's operating from the perimeter and he's, he does a great job. He's, he's got a, a nice shot, you know, good looking shot. He can create off the dribble. And then, you know, physically he's just impossible to handle for most, most high school kids down low. So he can take it inside when he wants to. So he's a, he's a, he's a three level scorer. Um, you know, he's, he's going to finish at the rim. He's going to, you know, grab rebounds, immediately take it up court of his ball handling skills. He's also, I think, a very underrated passer. He's uh, really good at finding guys open and moving the basketball. He doesn't play selfish basketball. And I think just him and Lake, I mean, just what an incredible one-two punch, probably arguably one of the best one-two punches in 6A. You mentioned Lake, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I guess I'm, I just made the example myself by mentioning Jaden's step prior to him. Uh, but Josiah Lake at Walton, you know, a, a senior, but, you know, he's he's somebody who's kind of under the radar of sorts. I mean, he's a quiet kid. Right. But, you know, he's scoring what high 20s, nearly 30 points a game. Uh, what can you kind of say about him and what you've seen out of him this year? Uh, it's, it's 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 criminal. He's not getting recruited more. You know, the only thing I can think of is maybe physically he's not quite there yet, but just a tremendous athlete can play above the rim, rebound so well for a guard. He can you know, knock down threes, get to the basket. He's getting to the line a ton this year. He's just going in and getting fouled. Um, just a just a great athlete, you know, can can play both uh, the point, both with the ball and without the basketball. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, you know, I know there's some big sky schools kind of looking at him a little bit. Like I said, maybe physically not there yet, but he's going to be there. That's the thing. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I think that's the, the main thing. I think it's just it's just criminal. He's not being recruited harder. I mean, Division two schools should be offering them just left and right, you know, <laughs> at this point, to be quite honest with you. But, you know, there's still more, more year, more of the year to play out, you know, state tournament. He's obviously, like you said, he's averaging, I think, 26 a game, you know, some, something around that range. And, and um, yeah, you know, uh, for the most part, you know, that I think, Oregon is under-recruited to a large degree. You know, um, I think it was different in the 2000s. You know, obviously with all those names I mentioned, there's a bunch of other guys too. But, you know, I think there's been a large case, especially at the Division I level, where people really watch closely what Portland and Portland State are doing. And if those guys aren't offering scholarships, then they have this narrative, oh, they must not be good enough if Portland and Portland State aren't offering these kids. But the truth of the matter is every program looks at kids differently, right? A kid might not be a fit for what Portland is doing or what Portland State is doing, and but they still may be a Division One player. But I think a lot of outside, you know, areas kind of use that as a gauge whether we should be looking at a kid. I think it's honestly, I think it's kind of unfair. Ted, Speaking of one-two, oh, sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Speaking of one-two punches in the Three Rivers League, uh, I've got a pretty good one in my area here with West Lynn. Uh, obviously, you know, Jackson Shellstad, maybe the, the biggest household name right now in the state. Um, but I think some of that can kind of come with some sh- uh, 
overshadowing a little bit on what Adrian Mosley uh, can do on the court and what he is doing on the court. So that's kind of wanted to hear, I guess, sort of similar to the the breakdown you gave a little bit just now um, about, you know, Stephen Lake at Tualatin. Um, kind of how do you see Adrian Mosley um, kind of on the statewide level and, and kind of looking at his recruitment a little bit and, you know, any sort of it's hard to think of a guy like Adrian Mosley as being under the radar, but it also kind of feels like he is a little bit. So I don't know. I just want to kind of hear your your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one, right? Because he seems to have, you know, I mean, I, I think the main thing with Adrian, he's just a basketball player, right? I think maybe some of the things that people might hold against him, what, what's his position? You know, and I, I, honestly, I don't know what is, is he, what is his position? Is he point guard? Is he shooting guard? Is he an undersized center? I mean, he, he can play anything, honestly. Right. I mean, he's just a basketball player. He he put he gets things done, and I don't think honestly people you know give that give him enough credit for that. I mean, you can you know, and I think sometimes when you're kind of in that boat, you don't have a really defined position, then people start nitpicking your game, right? Oh, he doesn't mm-hmm. shoot enough, or he's too small to be posting guys up, you know, um, you know, kind of like how old guys do on the playground. But you know, he 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 does an unbelievable job with that. And he knows how to spot mismatches. He can pass the ball. He can score. You know, he can defend. He's a good athlete. Um, so, yeah, I think some some coach is going to just get a, a real gift when they get him because he's just a, he's just a baller. He's just a flat yeah. out ball. Yeah, you, you can just see watching him play just how naturally it comes to him. Um, and, and like you said, yeah, it is a little bit of a, an old man game, I guess, to some degree. He's not, you know, he, he'll get up for a highlight dunk or two, too, you know, but not just sitting behind the three point line and looking for that, you know, not just looking for, you know, not just sitting around waiting for an alley-oop or something either. He's, he's going in there and creating a lot of offense for himself, um, you know, which does lead to some. I guess, inefficient shot selection sometimes, but, you know, it's high school. There's a lot of that going around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Cool. Ed, I want to ask you about, you know, I saw yesterday you put out your, uh, like, mid-season league MVPs. Uh, I was curious if you could kind of run through, I don't know how many leagues you got into, so if there's too many, oh, okay. <laughs> feel free to, feel free to, you know, cut it off somewhere, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, throw out some of those names. I literally put posted five A um, just before you know um, you know recorded this uh, podcast, but um, so six A uh, PIL my my pick was uh, Moroni Sealy Roberts you know Lincoln's leading the league they're undefeated uh, classic best player on best team um, selection uh, honestly his his brother is having a twin brother Malachi is having an outstanding season as well but I think Moroni just pure production um, he's just you know getting it done twenty two plus points a game, probably close to double-figure rebounds. He's also a tremendous – he's really improved uh, – shown improvement of his passing. So he's not a selfish guy at all. But he's just a matchup nightmare in the PIL, and he's getting it done. You know, I, I've often said um, if it wasn't for COVID, I think he might have broken Kevin Love's all-time scoring record in the state because he was averaging a ton of points when, when he was playing down there at Yamhill Carlton. But because of the pandemic, you know, things got kind of cut short with some of the – He's not going to have the same number of games to play, but um, yeah, he had a chance, I think, to to broken the scoring record. Unfortunately, his uh, points when he played in Utah aren't going to count. So, <laughs> right. so he's PIL uh, Metro League. I mentioned earlier. Um, I think Braden Bow right now is kind of the pick um, for Metro League, just having an outstanding year. Mountainside is tied for first place right now. 
Uh, Pacific, I mentioned him earlier too. Matthew Burkamp, I think, is kind of the odds on favor of the Pacific Conference. I don't see Sherwood. Um, you know, they might run the table. I think they've got a good game um, against uh, Century on Wednesday. It'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But I think Burkamp is the pick. Uh, Mount Hood, my pick was uh, Isaiah Pippa White. I know Jalen Atkins is having an outstanding year, but uh, Pippa White is a senior. Um, he's also been in the conversation for Player of the Year in the last three. He was Player of the Year in the COVID year. And then last year, he finished second to um, Riley Williams at Central Catholic. But from what I understand, he actually had more votes in the all in the all uh, league voting. Um, but they voted separately for Player of the Year, which Riley Williams got. And so Messiah is having a tremendous senior season as well. And Three Rivers League, Jackson Shellstad. I don't know if there's really anything more to be said than than that. Um, and then in the Valley uh, Valley League, I picked uh, Central Valley. Uh, yeah, I think it's called Central Valley now. Uh, Jackson Leach, uh, West Salem. Um, he's having he's having a tremendous season. Uh, junior point guard. Uh, West Salem's kind of fairly balanced, but I think he's kind of um, you know risen above everybody else in terms of um, how he's played. And West Salem is definitely the best team in that league. So kind of best player, best team. And then Southwest, um, I, I ended up picking uh, Jackson Wheeland, the point guard at South Medford. Um, I think you could also make a case for his teammate Bowden Howell, but I think Jackson's kind of the steadying force, um, both as a leader and point guard with his play and scoring. Um, so I went with Jackson. Uh, in 5A, uh, what I put out today, I said Northwest Oregon, Callan Gutridge, Wilsonville. Um, he's leading um, 5A in scoring. Um, he's just been phenomenal. Um, you know, Wilsonville is an interesting team because they really only have three guys who do all, everything for them. Um, but he's he's been he's been clearly, I think, um, if not just for Northwest Oregon Conference, he could be for the entire 5A. He's just had an unbelievable season. Uh, Midwestern League, this was a little bit tricky because all the teams there are pretty balanced. There's nobody that's like a superstar. Um, and I went went with best player from best team. Uh, right now, North Eugene is leading the league. So I went with Joey Banry, their uh, point guard. He's leading the team in scoring and assists. Uh, Mid-Willamette Conference is another one of those where you, you have some guys who are putting up some big-time numbers like uh, Bryson Catchell at West Albany, Chase Nelson at Central. Um, but right now leading the league is Woodburn and kind of the best play. And this could even be argued with Woodburn, who is even their best player. But I picked their leading scorer, was Spencer Carsaboon. Um, big time um, shooter from the outside. He can get really hot sometimes from three. Um, and then Intermountain Conference uh, pick is uh, Pearson Carmichael, nicknamed Peanut. Um, he's having, you know, he's already committed to state. Um, he's done nothing but, you know, do exactly what everybody knew he would do, which is score a ton of points and, and just just be the best player. On, you know, they did lose last night to Mountain View, um, but I still think Summit. People pretty much consider Summit one of the favorites for the state championship, along with uh, Wilsonville and 5A. So those are the picks I had so far. Solid pick. Jed, can I – I think I saw you um, at Woodburn when they beat South Al- – or not South Albany, West Albany. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah. a month ago. Yeah. Um, I didn't introduce myself because I was nervous and didn't know who you were. But um, I wanted to get your take on on that Woodburn team because, like – 12 and 3, 9 and 0 in league. I think they're number 3 in the state at 5A right now. Yeah. Um when you look at that team, um who is their biggest factor? Like is it is it like Spencer and his like shooting? Is it uh 
Liam and his like uh Liam Slatham, the West Albany transfer or West no West Salem transfer. Like what did you make of that team when you saw them? I think so obviously I think that game Spencer went off <laughs> in a bunch of threes. Mm-hmm. Um you know Cruz Veliz is just a tremendous floor leader, especially for a sophomore. He's definitely as being the son of the coach, he is the extension of his of his dad on the floor. Um but yeah I think you meant uh Slatham. I think Slatham is the is the guy that other 5A teams don't have. The 6'8 guy who can defend the rim, grab rebounds, and offensively, he's kind of sneaky too because he can shoot three-pointers. He, you know, he's ultimately kind of a stretch four, kind of the college level, and he's still coming along. You know, he's developing, he's getting every Every time I've seen him, he's better. And I think he's kind of that X factor for them that other teams don't have um, that's, that makes it you know difficult to to match up against because he's that defensive presence for them. Mm. Absolutely. I just felt like I, you guys were talking about all the Metro leagues and I was like, let me talk about the best team that I cover so far. Let me slide in there with some woodburn questions. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's been neat to see. I mean, if you think about it, they moved up in 4A, right? So they're, they're kind of moving up in classification here. They are, they're the class of the league. So yeah, kind of- well, it's it's also weird because like they were 5A for like I think most of their existence. Four years ago, they dropped down because their most of their athletics, like outside of soccer, were just like pretty bad. And then mm-hmm. in the in the four years they spent down there, or like without a classification, they kind of like figured some stuff out about like who they are and who they want to be. Um, and and you can like kind of see like um, like Coach Valise uh, is has done a really good job of like turning around a sub 500 team and like making them look, um, you know, like a, a state playoff team. Oh yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's neat is, you know, Carson boom is the only senior. I mean, they've got some other guys who you know, play some roles, but you know, Belize and Slatham and uh, who's the other kid, Brody Holly, who's also mm-hmm. from, from West. I mean, they're all, they're all going to be back. So. Mm-hmm. Good times ahead for the Bulldogs. Oh yeah. Jed to take it back up to six a. Uh... In the PIL, you know, you pick Moroni, which, you know, I think he's an excellent pick. He's fantastic. I think him and his brother are criminally underrated when it comes to recruiting, it seems like. Uh, but uh, another guy that, honestly, I think makes a pretty good case for the League Player of the Year is Kayvon Bradford. I mean, scores a bunch and rebounds a lot, which is kind of odd being that guard. But, you know, the way Benson's set up, you know, he's kind of one of their bigger kids, so he's going to... Had no choice past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, he's. A, you he's just a, look at Kayvon. He's like a physical man, presence. Right? Yeah, <laughs> he's just not a man. He's a four-year senior. He's been doing this for four years. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful you mentioned Kayvon. Great kid, a great player. Another guy who's also criminally under-recruited. You know, I think he's uh, got Southern Oregon looking at him pretty hard. But, um, but yeah, just. He's just a tremendous all-around triple-double threat pretty much every time he gets on the floor, and they they rely on him super heavy, and he can play multiple positions. Um, yeah, he's 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 a guy for sure. I think he's in the conversation. Uh, I think Benson took a little bit of a hit, you know, losing his last couple of games. Um, you know, I think they they believe they should have beaten Lincoln um, in that game recently. Uh, but yeah, Kayvon for sure is. For sure, first team all league, obviously. Um, we'll kind of see how the second half of the season plays out. Benson can kind of make a run at first place, and and maybe he'll get more more mention. Getting close well, to our time here, but uh, Jed, I had one last question for you. 
see if you can uh, give us a little prediction. Is anyone going to knock off West Lynn in 6A? What do we think is going to happen here? You know, I I think if you were to ask me to pick who the final two teams would be right now, I think, and I think everybody everybody would want to see this. And I think it would also be a game that would get not just attention on the West Coast. I think it would get national attention is if West Lynn played Lincoln in the 6A finals. I think that would be huge. You have a nationally ranked team, and you got to say it, Lincoln, female head coach, That's that would just be a tremendous game. And, um, you know, I think Lincoln could, you know, they wouldn't be favored by any means, but with their size and, um, you know, what they got going for them, I think they could, they, they have a shot. And two, you know, with no shot clock, you know, Beaverton, they, they did play earlier this year, the Cap Classic, and Westland won that one kind of going away. But I think Beaverton could uh, – and then also, too, uh, Tualatin, right? They're the team that's come the closest in-state to knocking them off. Um, they're going to be playing each other this week. It'll be interesting to see how that turns out. They still have another matchup. But that's a team, I think, you know, rival in league, Three Rivers League, that might have a chance. Um, those are, th- I think those are the three teams I think that legitimately would have a shot against Westland, I think. Yeah. And since you mentioned 5A and leagues, how about 5A? Anyone going to threaten Wilsonville or Summit? We talked about Woodburn. Yeah, I think 5A is looking mainly Wilsonville and Summit. I mean, Summit obviously has shown they, they, you know, they got beat yesterday by Mountain View, rival, rival school. But I would think that's, that would be the odds on favorite for the final game, Wilsonville and Summit. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Uh, Jed, I know I'd like to uh, speak for everybody here and say thanks for coming on. Uh, appreciate the insight. I know it was probably entertaining. It was entertaining for us. I'm sure it was uh, hopefully entertaining for the people that listen to our pod. And uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. really appreciate you guys inviting me to come on anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Jed. Thanks.